Hello, and again, welcome to BitDepth. I'm Santiago Ramones. Across from me is... Hi, Jocelyn Silva. Hello, hello. <laughs> Hi. Uh, I'm glad that we did the chat, like, previously, so that our rapport is a little bit more comfortable, so... <laughs> yes, I know, me too. I always like to talk to people before just to get, you know, a vibe. Yeah, exactly. So, of course, as always, who are you? What do you do? Yeah, so my name is Jocelyn Silva. My pronouns are she, hers, and I am a sex and intimacy coach. That's very different from the people who I normally have. Uh, so, first of all, how did you get there? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, honestly, it's a very long answer, but I'll, I'll give the short answer for now, and then maybe we can go deeper <laughs> later. Um but I grew up in a very Catholic household, um, had very like traditional ideas growing up about sexuality and sex. And then when I was 18, I started having sex. And then I realized that like, I knew nothing. And I realized that sex <laughs> was like incredible. And it was such a bummer that no one had really talked to me about it. So I decided to be a sex educator and um, the rest is history. I just kind of yeah. dove deep into it and I love what I do. Yeah. So I guess what were the first things that you realized kind of comparing from your Catholic upbringing and as you start learning about sex and you're like, oh, these are the core things that I believed that have been shaken by just experience? Yeah. Um, I think that the biggest factor that played into me wanting, or I guess me leaving the Catholic faith was, um, this idea of like sin and how mm. much shame that brought upon myself as like a sexual, like teenager. And, and also just like the idea that like, there are like rules that you have to live by, you know, that there's like <laughs> this manual of like, these are the things that this is like the green list and this is the red list. And if you do anything on the red list, you're going to burn in hell for eternity. Um, right. It just didn't vibe with it was after a while. I was like, this is like an icky way of living. It even got to a point where like, I legitly, like, I'm not kidding you. I was going to confession once a week because I was so mm. petrified of going to hell. Yeah. It got to the point where the priest <laughs> had to be like, yo, you don't, you don't need to come so often. I was like, you don't get it. I don't want to go to hell. And he was like, you'll be fine. Just come once a year. <laughs> <laughs> Just be like a normal sinner, like everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, no, like if I die, I must go to heaven. So it was, it became an obsession, which is, you know, not healthy. But. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, not every Catholic person who has sex decides to become a sex therapist. So, uh, <laughs> At what point do you go from just like enjoying sex and kind of being interested in it to wanting to help other people with it? Yeah. So, um, so I just want to make it clear. I'm not a, a, a licensed therapist. Um, so I'm not a sex therapist. I'm a sex coach and they're two different things. Okay, okay. I'll explain that briefly. Um, so sex therapy or just therapy in general usually is, um, you know, someone sees a client like once a week or once every two weeks, um, they have one hour sessions and usually it's more talking about how are you feeling today and, what things in your past have contributed to your feelings and how it affects you. And a coach is more like, what can, like, what are your goals and what can we do now 
to get you closer to your goals while at the same time holding space for all of the stuff that comes from like your past, but it's more action based and like accountability based, which is why I love it so much. Um, But yeah, so I think the biggest turning point for me was like when, so when I was 18, honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, I, I think it dates back to high school when my best friend was a, um, self-proclaimed feminist and like would listen mm. to like Bikini Kill and like all these like feminist 90s bands that I had no idea and she started saying random like she would say random shit in school like suck my clit and like girl power <laughs> and I just never yeah. understood it I was kind of like okay whatever but then like when I graduated I started getting really into like understanding like what feminism is and then I started kind of exploring my own sexuality And a friend of mine was like, hey, like, I'm going to be a part of this um, training for sex educators with this collective called Coochie Los Angeles. Would you be down to do it? And I was like, fuck, yeah, that sounds cool. And it was just (laughs) like a collective of like queer and trans people of color that did um, like sexual educational workshops, like comprehensive sex educational workshops in low income communities. Um, and it was amazing and I loved it. And I think that was the moment where I was like, sex has been so amazing for me. I want to spread the word and like help other people feel good about it as well. Cause I, I think it's just a, such a beautiful thing that we have, um, the ability to experience as humans. Yeah. And thank you for making the distinction between therapist and coach. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want like some um, institution to come after me or something. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. Very true. Um so I guess what are the most common things that you find yourself telling people over and over again? Mm, oh, I like this question. <laughs> um the biggest thing that I tell people over and over and over again is that sex is 20% physical and 80% emotional, spiritual, and psychological. Mm. Actually, there are two things that I say all the time. So that's the first one. (laughs) A lot of people are like, when when you think about sex, they just think of the act of sex. They don't think about how it's like a holistic experience. Mm. And the second thing I find myself saying all the time is communicate, 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 communicate. Talk about sex. You got to talk about it. If you're having it, you got (laughs) to talk about it. It's so important. Yeah. Um, what are the steps that you take to dispel the shame surrounding it? Oh, yeah. I like that you asked that. I like that you even acknowledge the fact that it is such a shameful thing. Cause I think a lot of people don't, can't really pinpoint it. Like they understand that sex <laughs> is like uncomfortable and like taboo, but you're right. It's riddled with like shame. That's really the biggest thing that comes up for people. So I love me Brene Brown. Brene Brown is my girl. I love her. So, I mean, she's not my girl. I don't like know her personally. Maybe one day she's <laughs> listening to this. Hey, Brene. Um, I love Brene Brown. And I actually get a lot of my philosophy from Brene Brown and like her research. Um, and the biggest thing that Brene Brown talks about is that research studies show, and actually this is one of the reasons why 12-step programs are so incredibly successful and effective is because the biggest thing that you can do for someone is hold space for them and their experiences. 
And so one of the things that makes an experience or an emotion shameful is having the inability to talk about it. So for example, if I stole something and like I hold that secret for years and years and years because I'm so ashamed of it, it loses its power once you have the ability to talk about it. So if I were to tell someone like, hey, I stole something, say, I don't know, I stole a TV or whatever. And they looked at me and they said, oh my gosh, you know, wow, like, why did you steal it? What happened? And then you open space for a dialogue to happen that's judgment free. What actually starts to happen is that shame starts to dwindle. Um, because shame mm-hmm. only holds power when it's like in a deepest, in the deepest, darkest corner of your mind. So for one, yeah. it's just like asking my clients lots and lots and lots of questions um, and just having a space to be able to talk about it. Because no one freaking talks about it. We got to talk about it. It's important yeah. to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then I guess how does your coaching a very amongst the gender spectrum, like sexuality is different for guys, is different for girls. And what are kind of some of the trends that you notice uh, in that sort of communication and experience and all of that? Yeah. So I actually don't do gender. So what do I mean by that? Um, Hmm. In the sex world, there's a lot of emphasis on like men are this way and women are that Mm -hmm. way. And the thing is, I don't buy into any of that bullshit. Absolutely, we are conditioned in certain ways. Like, obviously, as like a as like a cisgender woman, I'm conditioned in a certain way than like a cisgender man would be conditioned in our society. But typically, when I work with people, I don't I don't bring in gender because at the end of the day, whenever we start to have preconceived notions of what certain genders are like, like for example, like men can't express their feelings and like women are Mm -hmm. like sensitive or whatever the fuck people say about gender Mm -hmm. is that you actually start like making excuses for certain behaviors that are like unacceptable. Right. So, um, whenever I talk to my clients, I'm like, everybody is capable of vulnerability. Everybody is capable of being open. Everybody's capable of change. Everybody's capable of healing. Right. So coming at it with that perspective, instead of being like, Oh, you're a man. So like, you probably don't talk about your feelings. I'm like, no, I don't care what gender you are. You're, we're going to talk about feelings. (laughs) You know what I mean? And like, it's going to be uncomfortable. Um, but it's going to happen because it's necessary in order to be able to grow and, 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 um, and strengthen yourself as like a sexual person. Um, in regards to the trends, one of the coolest things about like working with cisgender men that I find is that it's very clear when the issue that they have is either psychological or physiological. So for example, if you're like a young man and like you're healthy, you don't smoke, you don't drink, like you run every day and like you have like a healthy, like fruitful life and you can't have an erection, like chances are there's something that's happening emotionally and psychologically that you're not tapping into, um, which is why like you're not able to have, you know, the sex that you want, um, which is interesting. And then what I see a lot with cisgender women is more of like libido issues. So there is a distinction, but the way that I treat my clients, I don't see gender. I don't make that a factor in how we communicate and how I treat their issues. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no, that's a really cool thing to do because then, like you said, it's, it's not bringing in all of the other biases that come with it. Um, 
do you deal with uh, couples? Do you deal with individuals? How how does that vary whenever you're dealing with a different number of people? <laughs> yeah, I actually only do one-on-one right now. So I only work with um, individuals. Um, eventually, I want to tap into like different things. Like actually in August, I'm going to start group coaching, which I'm really excited about. Um, so I have like a group of people that I'll be coaching and then eventually I would love to do couples right now. I just want to kind of master my program, if you will, (laughs) um, just to make sure that it's, you know, it's like a, an effective program for the clients that I have to go through. And then definitely I'd like to expand, um, I think one of the biggest factors though, and like the effectiveness of when I work with an individual is that, um, whether they're in a supportive relationship or not, that's one. And if they're single, it's a little easier to do different things, but I have noticed that a lot of the clients I work with that are in relationships, um, it tends to get kind of muffled between like what is a healthy support system and like, what is a client that has a partner that's like borderline abusive, which is really interesting. I didn't think that that was going to happen. And then when it started happening, I was like, Whoa, this is, I think a lot of some, some people aren't really good at catching on when things, when it's like an unhealthy relationship. Um, so I always Mm -hmm. make sure that I work with individuals that like their partners know that they're working with me and they're supportive and excited about working with me. Yeah. Is there kind of a point to where you realize that like, oh, this is beyond coaching and you should probably go to a therapist? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I have actually a pretty extensive vetting process. I don't just take anybody. Mm. Um, So like if someone wants to work with me, they have to fill out an application and answer some questions. Based on the questions, I then move you forward to a connection call, which is a free consultation. And then during the free consultation, I ask a lot of different questions to kind of understand like what's going on. And there are two main things that I look at. Like one is where is your mental health? And like, is it in a place where like, oh man, like you're deteriorating and should probably like look for like a licensed therapist? Or is it a place where like you have everything, like, you know, your life is pretty good. You're in a good relationship where you feel empowered and happy and safe. So then we can move forward. Um, and that's, that's really huge, right? Because I have actually turned down people and said, you know, I don't think I can help you with what you're looking for, but maybe in like a year or so, like once you've done, you know, some work with the therapist, like come to me, or I even encourage clients like to see me and a therapist. Cause I think having a coach and a therapist, I always have a coach and a therapist cause that's like really big. Um, for me in my life. And that's like the best way to get the support that you need. And then um, the second thing I look for in a connection call is how ready and how committed the people that I want to work with are committed to me. So I usually ask like, how ready are you to change your life on a scale of one to 10? If they eight is like pushing it, but if they say anything less than eight, I don't work with them. Um, <laughs> Cause you got, if you want to change your life, you got to be ready. You know, you got to be ready right. to do it. Um, And it really, it has to come from them. Yeah, definitely. Um, Like trying to track two questions in my mind. Um, (laughs) Let's go with this one. Sometimes I like asking stupid, simple questions that end up to be really complex answers. And so uh, what is the distinction between masturbation and sex? Ooh, that's a great question. (laughs) I love that. 
Um, to be honest, I would probably say zero. There is no distinction mm-hmm. um, because masturbation is having sex with yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about like having an intimate moment with yourself. So I would actually say that they're one and the same because even when you're engaging sexually with like another person or people, you're still having sex with yourself. So you're probably like, what the fuck does that mean? So that means like, I believe that everyone is in charge of their own pleasure. Like if I'm going to have sex with someone, I'm not going to expect or assume that they know what I like. I'm going to tell them exactly what I want. I want this position in this way. I want this vibrator on this body part. I want this whatever on this whatever. And like actually talking to my partner during it. And I expect the same for my partner to tell me like, hey, do this, do that to the right, to the left, harder, slower, softer, faster, whatever they need. Um, (laughs) And then in a way you're having sex with yourself too, because you're engaging and sharing with another person the way that you know that you want to engage sexually that's going to make you feel good. So I would actually say that there's zero distinction between the two. Yeah, definitely. That's really cool. Um, What's, is there like, a glossary of terms that you use to kind of, because you talk about communication and all of that. And sometimes uh, communication can be really unclear. And so is there sort of better, more effective ways of communicating rather than just like kind of vague sounds or something? Because people communicate differently. Vague sounds. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I know. It's like, wait, was that a groan or a moan? I don't know what to do yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I, I don't, I, I've never like, that's a great idea, right? Like make a glossary. That's a great idea. But it's one of those things where like, it's one of those things where like, you know, if you already feel comfortable having open and honest co- communication with the person you're engaging with, then like asking them to do something is, shouldn't be difficult right so like if you're if you have a partner and like you guys talk all the time you talk about your feelings you're open you're honest you you know you cry together you laugh together whatever during sex it's not that big of a deal to be like hey baby I'm actually not really into that can you do this or like hey sweetie can you do this because I would really like that right and I think that the comfort with like having sex with someone comes with how often you talk about intimate things with them so the biggest thing I would actually encourage to make it more, to make it easier during sex to communicate is to establish open and honest communication outside of the bedroom. Because yeah. if you have the open and honest communication outside, then it's not going to be so weird, but there are definitely different ways you can communicate. Like you can, like, I guess if I were to tell someone like communicate this way, like it's always just being like extra loving and like, you know, Hey, sweetheart, like not really into that. Or like using safe words is an amazing way to be able to like, you know, like bananas, let's do something else or whatever. Um, and non nonverbal cues as well. But if you don't catch a nonverbal cue, just asking like, Oh wait, what, did you like that or no? You know, or like, was, is that something you're cool with? Or like, I'm confused, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, is always important. So just asking questions. I don't know if yeah. that answered your question. I hope that did. No, yeah, it, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Is, or I guess, how do you feel like sex should be handled or sex education should be handled in schools? Mm, that's a great question. How was your sex education experience like? I'm just curious Hardly anything. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, where did you because, grow up? 
uh, well, Oklahoma. And so it's like once kids started being like almost puberty age, they took the girls and the guys into separate rooms and then showed them like the video with the body parts. And that's about it. And then nobody ever talked about it again because Oklahoma. <laughs> mm, how long was that class? Do you remember? It was a day. Like like, or day. maybe not even a day, but it was like, you know, a, a thing that happened. So it was probably even just like an hour or 45 minutes, even if that. <laughs> do you, did, do you like, did anything resonate in your mind afterwards? Like, you're like, oh, I didn't know that. Or was it just like. Over your kind head? of. Yeah, it, it just kind of flew over. And I feel like everyone involved was just extremely uncomfortable and then nobody talked to each other or anyone else about it. Nobody talked to the girls about what happened in the guy one and no guy or and the other way around. And so it never really became anything. And then people just kind of learned about it through other means. And so eventually guys learn it through porn. And yeah, <laughs> at least that's my experience. So <laughs> when you were in your health class, did they teach you like female anatomy? No. <laughs> really? So they only taught you like penis, prostate, blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. Well, so that was, again, the only sex education kind of happened in that one sort of thing, session, whatever it was in school. And so it was like, yep, this is the time of year when we do this thing and that's it. And so everything else that I've learned has been learning myself through reading and looking at stuff and whatever it might be. And so, uh, that that's one thing that I feel like in, which is kind of one reason why I asked the question, mm -hmm. but also in, in general, sex education is very clearly lacking. Yeah. Yeah. I love asking that question. Cause I'm always so fascinated. Like, what do you remember mm -hmm. happened that yeah. day? Right. Cause it was just one day, one hour, mm -hmm. 45 minutes. <laughs> it is so funny when you were saying like, people are like super uncomfortable. I'm like, yeah, teachers included. Right. They're just like, all right, we gotta mm -hmm. get through this thing. Um, so I, I want to share my experience and then I'll get into answering yeah. the question. But so I went to Catholic school kindred through 12th mm -hmm. grade and my experience went something different than that um the day that they talked to us about sex we saw birthing videos so mm -hmm. we actually watched actual babies being born naturally um and it was incredibly uncomfortable and traumatizing because I was 14 years old and I'd never seen that amount of blood before I was like oh my god what's going on and that was literally the day they talked about sex. And another time they had a group of people come to our school and on a huge projector, <laughs> showed us pictures of like, like genitals infected with syphilis, gonorrhea, herpes, warts, you know, like all the STDs and pretty much like the best way to not to prevent pregnancy and STDs is abstinence. So like yep. don't have sex. Also, it's a sin and you will go to hell. Um, it's literally <laughs> like that, like that movie Mean Girls. You know? <laughs> mm. <laughs> Except we didn't get condoms. We just got told not to have sex. Um, right. But it was atrocious. You know, it was horrible and traumatizing. And then all of a sudden you start thinking about sex and you think about like genitals with syphilis and it's like not cute or sexy or fun. Um, and you become really ashamed. Right. So I think that the first step to having really great education is being comfortable with having the conversation. 
So that's another way that I have been able to really kind of break down that shame that a lot of my clients come into working with me with is just like normalizing it, you know, like allowing these words to roll off your tongue, like penis, clitoris, vagina, anus, prostate, you know, um, G-spot, frenulum, scrotum, perineum, you know, just words just to roll off your tongue and talk about it as a matter of factly versus treating them like bad words um, or funny words or whatever, you know? So I think that definitely like having more people that are comfortable with having these conversations and also acknowledging that like kids that learn about sex, there's zero statistics that connect um your knowledge of sex with having more sex because there's just like this bogus idea of like if we teach kids about sex they're gonna want to have it want to do it more and it's like well they're gonna do it regardless but if you teach them about it they're gonna do it in a way that's like responsible um and also this is something very controversial but i this is the way that i see it feel about it like at like i'm so grateful that there are now schools that teach you how to like use a condom and et cetera et cetera but like what I think would be really amazing for schools to do is actually include queer sex in their curriculum. So not just like penis vagina, but also acknowledge that like people with like two vulvas have sex, people with two penises have sex as well. And also um, incorporating more like pleasure focused education. Like, did you know that the clitoris has five to 8,000 nerve endings? So you can have a kick-ass orgasm, you know what I mean? Like. Um, just not, just not shaming pleasure as much as schools do. Um, I don't know how, how far in the future this is going to happen, but (laughs) I believe that that is the best way to be able to go about it and to empower young people to, um, engage in sexual relationships that feel good for them. Right. Yeah. Uh, I do feel like there is a, a balance that always kind of has to be struck between like the very clinical like yes penis vulva all this stuff and then the very like kind of holistic spiritual sense of like this feels good and this is a connection between you and your partner or just between you and yourself and so like what is the balance you think that should be struck between the clinical side and the almost spiritual side Mm. that there is a disconnect. There is a disconnect. Um, for example, if I talk to you about like arms and legs, right. And I say like, did you know that arms do this and they have this many bones and legs have this many muscle muscles in them and bones and whatever. I just talked to you about body parts. There's a difference between talking to you about random body parts and then focusing on your body parts right? So like mm-hmm. your arm is this skin tone, has this much hair on it. It's, you know, it's strong, it's muscular, it's blah, 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 blah. It suddenly becomes yours. And mm-hmm. I think that how we make sexuality feel more spiritual and feel more empowering is through acknowledging that these body parts that we're talking about are ours and really getting to know them in a way that's more intimate. Cause I can talk to you about a clitoris and a vagina, whatever, whatever, but there's a step further where we say, okay, like what feels good on your clitoris? What kind of sensations do you like? Do you like rough, you know, vibrations? Do you like strong vibrations? Do you like light touches? Do you enjoy, you know, wetness, 
you know, dryness? Do you enjoy like strokes on the right, strokes on the left? Like, what do you enjoy? And taking this knowledge of like the science, the scientific knowledge, and then applying it to your own body. And I think that's where the spirituality element comes, um, comes into play when you realize like, oh my God, this is my body part. And this was, this is what feels good for my body part. And like, this is what doesn't feel good for my body part. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much when it happens. Mm. Uh, I think I have probably two more questions on this front of, I guess, what is the balance of porn and how negative is it and how positive is it and how do you think our relationship with it can be improved or whatever it might need to be (laughs) okay well so have you ever watched pornography yes okay so when you go on porn sites i take it that you you go on it and you watch like you know, you're on like the heterosexual side of like whatever porn set you're watching, right? I am heterosexual, yes. <laughs> so what are like the camera angles that you notice? What is like, uh, do you see any patterns in all the videos? Um, I guess I imagine it's probably like mostly like, I mean, the man is cut out and everything is focused on the woman. exactly right it's like Mm. this floating penis and then this like full woman (laughs) right it's like in all the fucking videos which is so frustrating because i love watching like men's faces when they're engaging and it's so fucking hard to find good porn like that um because the idea is only men watch porn and women don't right um and then when you want to like search like hot men it's always like gay Right. So there's this like idea that like men are the one that watch porn and like women aren't. So I think that pornography has potential to be like amazing, incredible and great. I watch pornography every once in a while um, during like masturbation. I think it's like a really great way for me to like engage with myself sexually. But I'm well aware of the fact that like, oh, this fucking stupid camera angle is like focused (laughs) on like, you know what I mean? Um, But I think that when it becomes harmful is when you're not watching it critically, when people don't have a critical eye to what they're seeing, right? So if they're watching porn and they're thinking, this is what sex is, right? Like, like, oh my God, like my partner just has to take it in the butt like 30 times. And like, it should just, it should just happen. Cause that's just, look at these porn stars that can do it. Right. Um, so in a way, I think that the issue is that pornography shows a lot, but I also think it doesn't show enough. And it's also incredibly biased. And it's important that as we're navigating pornography to understand that there is a bias, a biases in pornography. Um, I think that having more pornography that is like two humans engaging together or five humans or however many human beings are in the, in the space engaging with each other fully, right? Not just like genitals because sex is so much more than just penis, vagina or vulva, vulva or penis penis it's it's everything right it's it's everything it's the the foreplay it's like the excitement the build-up the the flirtatiousness the playfulness and I think that that is of uh, the pornography really just doesn't show that um so I encourage people that if you do watch porn just watch it with the critical eye and just know that like pornography is not real life and yeah. um yeah I think that's important cool 
And then last thing, just kind of generally, what what's something that people don't normally know about you? Oh, that's a cool question. <laughs> I'm feeling inspired to share this. I don't think I've ever shared this on a public platform. So this is kind of a big deal. Um, I am a sex and love addict in recovery. Mm. Okay. <laughs> and mm, almost nobody knows that actually. <laughs> mm. um, I've been in program for two years now and um, realized that I had some serious issues with how I engaged in sex and love and got into recovery. And now with two years of recovery, decided to start my business to help others. And I also think that like sex and love addiction is something that isn't spoken about a lot. Um, and it's just been a very challenging like um, journey for me, but it has also been the most life changing and beautiful experiences to be able to like go from like rock bottom in an addiction to now helping other people empower themselves to be in healthy, honest and open sexual experiences and have open and honest, have an amazing open and honest sex life. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. And I, appreciate it that you feel comfortable enough to share that here <laughs> yeah me too that was great <laughs> <laughs> um so changing gears and there's no good way of transitioning into it so what is the role of spirituality or religion in your life oh i'm i was so excited to talk about this because i fucking <laughs> love talking about it um okay so we can't talk about my journey without talking about Catholicism because that's just where right. it began, right? So you're not going to believe this, but I was Miss Catholic girl. I mean, let me tell you, I went to school, <laughs> kinder through 12th grade in Catholic school. I was an altar server. I was a lecturer. I um, got a $500 scholarship in eighth grade for being most involved in my parish. I would come up come in the stations of the cross every year um in high school i run, i won the religion award i was in christian leadership i was the only senior in my high school to lead the like senior retreat which was like a huge privilege um i used to hang out with jesus during lunchtime in the chapel like i literally would eat my lunch in the chapel because i didn't want to hang out with my friends that were smoking weed because i was like if i smoke weed with them i'm gonna go to hell so i gotta go hang out with jesus in the chapel literally by myself um i was going to like confession once a week because i didn't want to go to hell i mean i wanted to be a nun when i was 16 so like whoa right like <laughs> what yeah. the hell happened <laughs> um so when I turned 18, I was incredibly depressed. I was just always ashamed of myself, right? Like always just feeling guilty and bad for like having like heavy makeout sessions with my partner for like fantasizing about like sex, you know, like 15, 16 years old, we're like, that's what teenagers do at that age, you know? And um, when I was 18, I left the Catholic church completely. I was a self-proclaimed atheist uh, for about honestly, up until two years ago, <laughs> I was an atheist. I was like, God doesn't exist. Like, you know, this just, this is stupid. You know, I, every time I thought about spirituality, I thought about Catholicism and that just turned me off. I was like, I want nothing to do with it. Um, 
when I got into program, that's what really strengthened my spirituality. Because one of the beautiful things about 12-step programs is that um, they encourage you to choose your own higher power. So I think like this one dude in the in a meeting once was like, my higher power is a cross between a, sno- a snowman and like Bill Murray or something like that. <laughs> or like someone else was like, my higher power is like a drag queen. And she's like, you got it, girl, like, get it, you know, like, you better work, you know, and it's just, it's just kind of everyone chooses what their own higher power is, or like their own spiritual guide. So through, through um, 12 step program, I've come to realize that like, I have a higher power who's like gender neutral and like down to earth and fun and sexually empowered and um, excited about like life and wants me to take risks and wants me to be okay and like is okay with like me feeling pain and um, so I've really now like I pray every single day not to Jesus Christ but to like just like the universe like universal intelligence universal energy my higher power however you want to call it um I, have a lot, I use a lot of different words once in a blue moon I use God but I don't that's not my favorite Um, and my relationship with the universe is one where I turn the volume down on my fear voice and turn the volume up on my intuitive voice. And when I'm in alignment with my intuition, that's when I feel most in alignment with my higher power. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. Um, and so I guess, sorry for this question question containing the word God, but what is your definition? What is your definition of God? Yeah. um, So my higher power, like I said, is a gender neutral being. So I don't refer to God as he or her. I just say higher power, HP, universe. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll be playful and be like, it's funny, like with my partner, I'll be like the universe, blah, blah, blah. And then my partner's like, thanks, girl. You know, like, just to be silly. But um, my higher power is gender neutral. Um, And it's just, I truly believe that our intuition is what guides our life. Because we live life thinking like, oh my God, like I'm so afraid of everything. And we start to pay attention to the fears instead of the intuitive voice, right? So like, for example, my intuitive voice is telling me to break up with this person. But my fears are telling me if I break up with them, I will never love ever again. So who do you listen Mm to, right? Or my intuitive voice is telling me to like, be a dancer and a singer and like apply and like be on Broadway. Right. But then my fearful voice is telling me you're never going to do that. You're a piece of shit and you're just going to work at McDonald's for the rest of your life. Right. So I truly believe that my higher power whispers to me through my intuition. So guiding me by doing the things that scare the shit out of me because we live life too comfortable. You know, we, we, oh, we want to live on our our little like safety net and like think that everything's going to be okay. But no, 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 no. The shit that gets you fired up, the shit that scares you, that's the shit that you should be doing. So when I feel scared about something, that's when I know my higher power is talking to me and saying, this is what you got to do. So that's how I define a higher power. Yeah. No, that's really cool. Is free will an illusion? How is it or is it not? 
That's so interesting. I've actually been reflecting on that lately. So it's interesting that you asked me that <laughs> because, you know, there are these, there's, okay. So I got to talk about this. So I'll talk about this and I'll answer the question because it, it goes hand in hand. I, so there's random things that have happened to me, Santiago, that like, I cannot explain. Like, I'm like, this is some shit. Like what is going on? And one of them is coincidences. I've always had a really coincidental life. I'll talk about two things that happened to me recently. I started seeing 826 everywhere mm-hmm. when right before I was about to break up with my ex. I started seeing 826 everywhere. I was like, what the hell? I almost got scared. 826 is actually my birth month and day. My birthday is August 26. And one day I was walking by um, a big billboard, like a huge sign, huge, huge, huge. And it said 826 LA. And I was like, okay, this is some weird shit. And then it says, <laughs> whenever you are, we are there. Or we were then or something like that. And I'm like, this is weird. So I took a picture of it. And I finally looked it up because I was scared. Like, okay, what ha- Like, what does it mean when you keep seeing your month, day, and like, you know, your month, mm-hmm. your month and your day over and over again. And um, from what I read, it meant that like, that's like your spirit or like, you know, higher power universe, like trying to tell you to be like, to like listen to your authenticity and like really follow your intuition. So I'm like, okay, this is interesting. And so I started doing that and literally led me to where I am now. So I'm like, holy shit, this is really fucking meant to be. The second thing that happened to me is when I started my business, I had no idea what I was doing. And I randomly stumbled across this person on LinkedIn who was a business coach who coaches coaches. And I'm like, I didn't even know there was such a thing. Um, and he was charging a lot of money to work with him, but something in my heart was just like, do it, do it, do it. And I was for two weeks, I was like, should I, I don't know. Should I, I don't know. Finally, I was like, fuck it. I'm going to do it. So I hired him. And the day that I hired him, I was walking down the street and I saw my name, the way that I spell it on the cement with the star next to it. So <laughs> Jocelyn in like a bougie ass neighborhood in LA. So like bougie neighborhoods in LA, like no one's, no one's named Jocelyn. Jocelyn's not a common name. So I'm like, holy crap, that's interesting. Then I went to a store where they, it's a store called American Girl and they have different dolls. And my best friend's nickname for me is Joss. And so I walked in and the doll of the year was named Joss. I was like, this is bizarre. I'm like, okay. I'm not bizarre. It was like messages. I was like, okay. Yeah. And then I went to go eat dinner. And my my I said I was like teasing my partner. And then my partner was like, oh, what are you, colorblind? The moment my partner said colorblind, a song named Colorblind started playing. Like literally all within the span of like an hour. So if for me it was like confirmation that like I had made the right decision. You know, it was like the universe being like, great job. Like, you know, and oh my God, I fucking love my business coach. I love him so much. Like he really helped me so much. So it was interesting. So back to the free will. I always, you know, I always get confused because I'm like, I think we have free will. And I think that, okay, how do I say this? Because, you know, when shit like that happens, it feels like it's like the universe being like, great job, like you're on the right path, you know, like, okay, cool, keep going, keep going. And I think that the free will comes when we choose to ignore or accept what we're being told. Because the vast majority of people listen to their fear voice over their intuitive voice, because the fear voice is easier to listen to. It's easier to be stuck in fear. It's harder 
to push through fear and do the things that scare you anyway, right? And so I think that free will is not an illusion. I do think that it's real. Um, but I also think that it's a dangerous thing because if you, if a person lives their entire life putting up the volume on their fear voice and putting down the volume on their intuitive voice, I think that a lot of people really miss some wonderful opportunities and literally deny the world the gift that they have been bestowed at birth through yeah. whatever being. I don't know if that, mm-hmm. how that makes sense. No, yeah, it does. I like that a lot. How do you determine what good behavior is? It's mm, a great question. Obviously, I don't believe in sin anymore because that's just that that's just incredibly shameful and like punitive. Um, I think good behavior for me is when you are in alignment with your higher self. It has nothing to do with people around people around you and their feelings. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with are you in alignment with yourself? So for example, if you're in a relationship that you want to end, but because you're so afraid of ending it, you start cheating, right? Then you're not in alignment with yourself. And the byproduct of that is that now you've hurt your partner and now you're hurting yourself and you're in a shitty situation. But if you decide to end that relationship and say, you know, I'm actually going to end this relationship because it's not working, even if you're petrified of doing it, when you're in alignment with your higher self, that is when good things start to happen. At least that's what I believe. It's like Hmm. just being open, being honest, being authentic, even if it hurts other people around you. I think that's important. That's a very interesting take. I like that. Mm -hmm. How do we reduce the division? Division of like beliefs? I guess division... I kind of usually frame this question around the context, especially through uh, guests in the U.S., but like we have a lot of political division, which kind of turns into a religious division, which kind of turns into philosophical division, which kind of turns into a spiritual division. Mm-hmm. How do we kind of get more things in common with each other rather than separating away from each other mm-hmm. like we have been so much mm-hmm. I think a lot of that comes from the ego I think that as humans we're so like stuck on like I'm right and you're wrong right like my ego just wants to feel good about myself so I'm just gonna put people down and like you know, so I can feel better. Um, But I think that once people let go of the idea of an ego and just embrace full acceptance, love and compassion, the division will dissolve. And I say acceptance, not tolerance for a reason, because tolerance is like, okay, I'll put up with you, even though I don't like you. But acceptance Mm -hmm. is like, how how do you break through your egotistical opinions of other people and other ideologies to just be like I don't know I don't understand you but I'm gonna just accept the fact that like this is what you believe in I'm gonna have compassion for you because um that's 
literally like the best way to go about things. Cause if you have compassion for others, it means that you understand them, you acknowledge them, you see them, you've heard their stories and you're validating that. And also like, I'm going to love you, right? Like, I'm just going to love you even though like you're completely different from me. But now that I'm talking, I'm actually thinking it starts with yourself though. Because if you can't have acceptance, love and compassion for yourself first, you can't have that for another person. So like, if I don't accept my stretch marks, if I don't love my body, if I don't love the person that I am, if I'm not compassionate towards myself and the mistakes that I make, it's going to be a million times harder to do that for another person. And I think that the vast majority of why people want to work with me and why people seek out spirituality in general is because there's a huge disconnect with themselves. Um, it's a huge problem. Yeah. Always good to quote Mama Roo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can't love yourself and how the hell are you going to love somebody else? <laughs> exactly. Um, how do you live with or against the selfishness that pervades American culture? Mm. I think it depends on how you define selfish. So how do you define selfish? Um, I mean, taking steps to uh, serve yourself even though it hurts those around you. Mm. Interesting. Okay, yeah. You know, I, I wish there was another word in the English language sure. to define selfishness because I think that selfishness gets like a bad rep because of people mm -hmm. like that. Um, sure. I call that assholery. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But I guess... There's a, a good selfish and a bad selfish, right? Right. A good selfish is I'm really tired. I really need the evening to take care of myself, read a good book and go to bed early so that I can be my 100% tomorrow. That's selfish, right? That's like, like expressing what you need to another person, mm -hmm. even though it might maybe hurt them that they can't like spend time with you because they were like excited to see you or whatever. It's like a good selfish. It's a healthy selfish. Yeah. And then the bad selfish is like, oh, like you want to buy this land? Well, fuck you. I'm going to buy it and make something bigger and better. And like, I don't care about you. And like, buy, get away with your little $2 or whatever it is. Right. So it's like, mm -hmm. I like purposefully doing something that you know will hurt another person so that you can get ahead in life. Um, I'm sorry, what was the question specifically? How do you live with or against that selfishness or assholery, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think there's ever a good reason to be a bad selfish. I think that selfishness, bad selfishness comes from a scarce mentality, right? It's, oh, like I'm going to hoard everything because I don't want anybody else to have it but I have an abundant mentality. We live in a vast universe and this is a, an abundant universe and there is more than enough to go around. And I think that once we switch over to an abundant mentality where we like wanna share with people versus take away from them, then everyone has the ability to be successful, literally every single person. Um, but when you have this scarce mentality of, I need more, I need more, I need more, I need more. And like, you are my competition. And like, I want to screw you over. 
you actually end up with less and you actually end up a very sad and depressed person. Um, and I think the way to combat that is through adopting and accepting an abundant mentality. Yeah, that's really good. Do you believe humans are evil by nature? Mm. Sorry, I need a minute to answer this question. No, you're fine. And I think it's good that you're taking the time yeah. to think about it. <laughs> Wasn't ready for that one. Um, <laughs> no, I don't think humans are evil by nature. I think humans are, are how do I say this? I think the biggest driver of evil in this life is the lack of acceptance, love, and compassion. And so I think that if a person has grown up and has had the space to be vulnerable, has had the space to be compassionate or like to have had compassion for that person and love and acceptance, there's really the likelihood of that person growing up to be an evil person is very low. Right. And so I think that life experiences is what makes people evil. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I'm curious to know what you think about that. <laughs> um, I am a little bit more, uh, tabula rasa as I forget who the philosopher was that used that term, uh, but blink slate. And so I think even more so, I think that human nature is good. Um, and we can probably get into more of that on the conversation one, but, (laughs) Mm uh, yeah, I, I feel that, uh, humans tend to lean towards good, toward good, although the environment isn't encouraging the good behavior, mm-hmm. which is why we have so much more bad behavior. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So less of the dark questions. So moving <laughs> upwards, uh, what are you optimistic about for our future? Like the world's future or my future? <laughs> I do say our in a kind of more world sense, but you can just say yours if that's what you want, what you are optimistic about. Um, (laughs) Well, I like what you said, the our future. Um, You know, not many people talk about this. I know Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this a lot, but I'm just going to like echo it like. The fact that we have social media is fucking kick-ass. And one of the beautiful (laughs) things about social media is that it's given people a platform to talk about things that, like, you don't hear in, like, Hollywood movies or, you know, big production companies making, like, TV shows um, or, like, the news or, like, literally anywhere. And so I think the biggest thing that I'm optimistic about in the future is this younger generation that's literally being educated by social media. And social media is such a beautiful platform where you see all types of people talking about all types of things and empowering others to be themselves and to be different and to just like not care about what other people think. And so I'm optimistic that this younger generation that's being raised, even though we're being raised 
in a government that um, is very exclusive and hateful. I think that the fact that we have these social media platforms that really help us have a space where we can grow and develop into the people that we are is such is so beautiful. And it's really going to expand the minds of the younger generation more than my generation was expanded and more than like the generations before me were expanded. So I'm optimistic that we're raising these this generation of kids that are very open-minded, very accepting, very welcoming, and very open to different ideas because that makes for a more egalitarian society. Yeah, that's a good perspective to have. Mm -hmm. What makes you content? What makes me content? Gratitude. Yeah. Every day I write a gratitude list and it started off with three things. And now my gratitude lists are up to like 30 things. I write 30 things I'm grateful for almost every single day. That's cool. And I think it's really easy for us to focus on what we don't have. But when you shine a light on the things that you do have, like I have this dress that I'm wearing and I have like this pen that I can write with and I have you know, however much money in my bank account and I have a cozy bed that I sleep on and I have drinking water every day and food every day. And I have the ability to buy makeup and make myself feel good through wearing makeup. Just acknowledging all the things that I have and being grateful for that makes me content um, because it reminds me that I'm actually incredibly fortunate and it makes me feel happy. Yeah, that's awesome. I guess not necessarily... Well, it's, I guess it's up to you if this is a positive or negative question. <laughs> when will you be satisfied? When will I be satisfied? <laughs> huh, this is a weird question because I'm like compelled to say a bunch of stuff. Okay, let's, let's talk about the process that's happening in my mind right now. <laughs> sure. Because I'm a podcast, because I'm on a podcast, because I have my own business, because I've made my own brand, I'm compelled to answer this, like, incredibly, like, to answer in a way that's, like, super, like, f philosophical and, like, you know, in a way that I feel pressured to, like, say this really deep answer. But literally the first <laughs> thing that popped into my head was when I pay off my debt. <laughs> yeah. And I think that in a lot of ways, like, debt is just, like, such a soul crusher. I think I will be satisfied when I pay off my school debt. But yeah. to be honest, I feel pretty satisfied with life right now, just the way it is. Um, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just keeping it real. No, it's a, it's a good way. It's a good way to live in, in both, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, again, another one that's like a little weird, but what's the point Whoa, you're going to have to explain that one to me. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I think in general, people kind of find a way of answering the question for themselves. And other times people just don't answer the question, which is an answer in itself. <laughs> and so I guess what's the point can be what's the goal or why do you do anything or whatever it might 
mean to you what the question means, but a friend of mine asked me to put it on the podcast questions, and I think it always makes an interesting answer. Mm, okay. Never been asked this before. This is the way I see it. Nobody knows what the fuck we're here, right? Nobody knows if we really have a soul. Nobody knows where the fuck we're going after we die. Nobody knows shit. What I do know is that we're here. And I feel good when people around me feel good. I feel good when humans feel good in general. If you go to a, if you go to a restaurant and your server is kind and attentive, you're going to have a fucking kick-ass time, Right. If you go to the doctor and your doctor is super like outgoing and optimistic and comforting and kind and like articulate, then you're going to feel great. So this is the way I see it. We know we're on this earth. We know that we're emotional human beings. We know that love and compassion and acceptance feels good. I know that I love being around people that feel happy, loving, compassionate, and accepting. So for me, the point is to make this life as exciting and fruitful and as joyful as possible and to share that with other people so that they can have those experiences as well. Heck yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Two more. What advice do you have for people in general? start being vulnerable. I know some people are probably listening to me right now being like, "Mm, vulnerability, don't want to hear about that. But vulnerability is literally the key to unlocking all of the wonders in this life. And I truly believe that. Start talking about your feelings. Start sharing your thoughts. Start making those art projects. Start writing those poems. Start singing those songs. Start looking at yourself naked, you know, just allow yourself the opportunity to be vulnerable and just know that it's a scary thing, but it's also the best thing that you can do in this life. Hell yeah. And then lastly, cake or pie? (laughs) Um, Oh my God. You know, it's funny. Neither. Can I say neither? Sure. Oh, yeah, I would say neither. I'm not a pie person, (laughs) not a cake person. 1000% cinnamon roll person. Okay. I was actually thinking (laughs) as I'm turning 30 this year, I was actually thinking that I want to, instead of getting a cake, I'm just going to get like a big Cinnabon, like cinnamon roll tray. And that's going to be my cake this year. Fucking love cinnamon rolls. (laughs) You put a candle in the middle of the swirl. Exactly. That's exactly what I want. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, Jocelyn, you are a great person and I'm glad to have had you on. Plug your stuff. Thank you so much. This was so much fun, Santiago. You've asked me questions that I've never been asked before. Um, Yeah, (laughs) so if anyone wants to find me, check me out. My Instagram is at sexcoachjocelyn, J-O-C-E-L-Y-N. My TikTok is at sexcoachjocelyn with a three instead of an E on the sex. And my website is www.jocelynsilva.com. I do one-on-one coaching. I also do group coaching and courses coming soon. So to keep up with me, check me out on those platforms. Hell yeah. Um, 
so yeah, thank you so much. And I appreciate you. I appreciate all the new perspectives that you've given me. And I feel like I've actually gotten like some stuff to like think about as well. So Yay! thank you for that. I'm happy <laughs> yeah, you, you got me thinking too. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, so I'm Santiago Ramones. And I'm Jocelyn Silva. You can find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music. Bloom is available now, streaming everywhere. Put it on in the background or show it to your friends so you can all enjoy it together. You can also buy it on Bandcamp and get bonus content so you can sit alone in the dark with your headphones on and listen to the album in its entirety while reading and looking at the bonus content. I also make music with PowerCycle, an experimental electronic trio. Our first completely improvised album, Too Many Damn Cables, is streaming everywhere. More to come from PowerCycle in the future. To support this podcast, leave reviews, comments, tell your friends about it, and buy my music. Because by supporting me, you're supporting the podcast. I always end the podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Those three things are love never fails, it's going to be okay, I might be wrong.